episode of Public Problems. Today, I'm with a number of Bush School students um, as part of their introduction course to Foundations in Public Service. Um, I asked them to spend the first half of the semester researching an issue or a public problem that they were interested in. And so today, we're going to chat through uh, the report with one of the groups. But before we delve into the specifics of their report, I'd like them to have an opportunity to introduce themselves. So we'll go clockwise, starting to my left. Hello, I'm Jing Hua Zhao. Bethany Bryce. I'm Madison Mata. I'm Lindsay Schwartz. Hey, I'm William Hill. All right. So let me start by saying uh, thanks so much for this report. I know you all put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. And so thanks for also taking the time to uh, talk with me about it, because I think we are, there's some interesting stuff here. So the title of your report is Disaster Recovery Mental Health. And so as the class started, I gave you free reign to do whatever you wanted. And this is the issue you thought most either interesting or most important. So tell me how your group or why your group decided to tackle this project. Well, first off, we had a, uh, a wide range of interest. Um, we had a lot of people that came from the Texas area that were affected by Hurricane Harvey. And then we also had some people that were in mental health and interested in like healthcare. So we sort of merged it very, very soon um, on doing like disaster. We were thinking just uh, hurricane disaster mental health, but then it kind of morphed into, well, we could actually make this a lot more applicable if we're taking into account all kinds of disasters. Mm -hmm. So it kind of just went into specifically studying that, that stuff. Um, one of the things that's just kind of on the outside, I think, is kind of ambitious with your project. I mean, these are both issues that we haven't historically handled so well in the U.S. So particularly pre, uh, pre-9-11 and pre the terrorist era, a lot of our emergency management stuff wasn't well integrated. We have a long, like most countries, have a long history of uh, mistreatment with mental health issues and not really tackling them the way they should be that allow people to kind of thrive and and recover. Um, so I'm really interested to see how you talk about both of these issues and the challenges associated with them because I think we have a history of uh, maybe not tackling either one of them so well. So what? Uh, give me a little bit of the scope of the background that you do for this report. So you clearly are talking about disasters and mental health. Where do you Kind of, how do you situate this report in terms of a of kind of the background of it? So basically, what we looked into is like what they kind of already have as far as um, the specific issue. Which surprisingly, they do have a plan for mental health and disasters already. Um, so the order in which you're supposed to seek out these. Resources are very hierarchical, but the organizations who oversee various aspects of mental health kind of intertwine. Um, so if you are an individual who is affected by a natural disaster and you want to seek out mental health like counseling, yes, mm -hmm. mental health counseling, um, you're supposed to go to your local and mental health authorities or an LMHA. So when a disaster happens, LMHA, LMHAs tend to get overwhelmed by the amount of people who need their services. So that's when the state and federal government comes in. Um, so with that, 
the LMHAs are required by the Disaster Mental Health Services, which is a state-level agency within the Department of State and Health Services, to plan, coordinate, and develop policy, and to allocate and develop resources for mental health services in the local area. And when a natural disaster happens, the DVHS and FEMA and um, CCP pro uh, combine for program funding. And with the funding, that tradition comes in two different grant programs, which is going to be the Immediate Services Program, or ISP, and Regular Service Program, or RSP. And ISP grant programs tend to last up to 60 days following the disaster, and RSP grant programs follow for nine months after the disaster. And these are things that are funded at the federal level by the federal yeah, government? This is, so FEMA, yeah, FEMA funds these projects. Okay, great. And so... FEMA has that authority because in 1974, they passed the Robert T. Stafford Disaster and Emergency Act, which authorized FEMA to fund mental health assistance to presidentially de declared disaster areas. And those are administered through the Crisis Counseling Assistance and Training Program, like Madison talked about, the CCP. Just some notable history of some notable grants that were given by the CCP and FEMA. Um, in April 1995, the Oklahoma City bombing occurred, so another non-hurricane disaster in which uh, was created Project Heartland to address the mental health um, after that disaster. In September 11th of 2001, as we know, the World Trade Center terrorist attack happened. They created Project Liberty, for which they granted $154 million to that project. August 2005. 2005 was a pretty bad year for hurricanes. We see Hurricane Katrina grants to over 29 states, which total $132 million. In uh, September of 2005, Hurricane Rita, $7 more million. October 2005, Hurricane Wilma, $10 million more. September 2008, Hurricane Gustav, $16 million. And most recently, September 2017, Hurricane Harvey with $13.9 million. These are just some of the highlights of the CCP grants that have been made. As you can see, they're, they're certainly pouring in a lot of money, but as we'll get into with our top with our with our um, discussion, there's clearly some some serious issues with that with that funding and not sure not being sure really um, where it's going and how, how effective it is. So I want to come back to uh, the CCP grants. We don't need to do it right this second, but I want to know a little bit more about how they're administered, so how the money is actually being spent, if that's something that you looked into. But before we get there, I like this timeline that you provide that shows some of the major events with uh, respect to disasters and mental health provision. And then um, <clears throat> just a little bit of a side note, you have this figure one in here, the major disaster declarations um, that uh, it's just kind of fascinating to see the trend mm -hmm. as we're having more and more declared um, declared disasters. So, okay, I think this kind of gives us a, a little bit of a lay of the land of what some of the financing tools are, some of the uh, history. And so before 1974, as far as the group knows, there just wasn't really much of anything being done specifically related to mental health and disasters. Is that true? Well, and specifically two disasters, no, um, but prior to that, they, they did have, there was uh, a lot of the research that we covered talked about deinstitutionalization, mm -hmm. which is like when they had government-run asylums and care, and uh, there was a, this was a big, like it was a rabbit trail that we chose not to really go into as much, um, because there was a long path from this, like changing the stigma 
that was attached to mental health. And once they started to look more into it, they realized that pushing those kind of care, like community-based care model, rather than just having an asylum where you ship people off to and like sever all their social ties was really just a bad thing. So uh, and there were also yeah. moral and ethical practices that were that were, well, there were unmoral and unethical practices that were done. So a lot of these um, mental institutions started being phased out, um, just because of the lack of care, the lack of funding, the lack of training, I and mean, just the all of the above. And that's why we chose not to go down that rabbit hole because it would take away from the disaster and all the the, the um, funding and just kind of the solutions that we wanted to focus on, really. So, so how big of an issue is uh, mental health in the U.S. So one of the things we talk about is the scope of it and how it's, you know, essentially a crisis. So tell me tell me why you come to that uh, term and how big of a deal this is. Um, okay. Um, about the scope of the mental health is a very long and, and continuing and unpredictable term. And people are out out to suffer from the mental health because of a lot of people will be rolling rolled in the mental health. Uh, more than 15% people get uh, some stress disorder like depressing if they if they suffer from the uh, disaster. And some people will be worried about whether uh, they have the mental health crisis and uh, how can they get the uh, suitable or useful uh, recover from some nonprofits? Or and the second one is the different people have the different reactions, and uh, it's a very long term, and we need to pay attention for them to recover. So it's also a long time, and the hope of the children is also important. And analysis, yeah. Because the children is either easier to suffer from the mental health and recover, uh, it's very difficult. In different ages, they will take different creations, and uh, it's obvious that uh, this will play a bad, a bad impact on children, family, society. If we don't have make the useful measures and uh, uh, to deal with it. So, it's so there's all kinds of, yeah, there's all kinds of factors at play, as you mentioned. So there's like the short term, like in the immediate mm -hmm. aftermath of the disaster and providing mm -hmm. services then. Mm -hmm. There are these longer term concerns that you were mentioning that are kind of things left over from the trauma or things yes. left over from the experience. Mm -hmm. And then in particular, the way in which it can impact children because they're more susceptible to the trauma and the, mm -hmm. and the harm. So these are all ways that the sort of uh, major disasters are impacting or having an influence on the mental health of the people in those areas. Is that kind of okay way to put it? Good. Um, okay, so um, I can um, go ahead. expand on that a little bit because um, I took what she did and kind of made it into the, one of the issues. Uh -huh. um, so the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is also known as the DSM, and uh, we're on version 5 now, uh, the post-traumatic stress disorders can have a late onset with their symptoms, and it's usually within the first six months. So, um, you know, a disaster can happen, and your adrenaline kicks in. You're you're operating from your analytic, animalistic part of your brain, where it's um, 
fight or flight, um, you know, and just make basically making sure that um, all of your uh, needs are met on as far as clothing and shelter, food, and you know, is your family okay? So um, these people that have been affected sometimes don't start seeing the symptoms until up to six months later. Um, and and the issue that we have found with um, the recovery uh, resources has been the untimeliness of funding. Um, and and this, this just happens with every single disaster. There's an influx of care. There's an influx, you know, right as it happens. And then the further you get away from it um, time-wise, the less um, education, the less... Um, Actions the less yeah the, the less actions are taking taken to um, be able to provide what is needed as far as mental health. Um, Probably so. just overall resources too once it leaves the yeah. news and leaves everybody's mind. It's probably not getting the same level of resources and attention. Exactly yeah. Um, so you know providers can can tap into their resources, but once the the providers run out of resources and a service will simply not be provided. Um, there is also kind of a segmented effort when we get into it. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration um, posted an inventory for disaster behavioral health interventions in May of 2015. Um, while it stressed the importance of immediate help to those who were affected by natural disasters, um, it did have a smaller, and I looked at it, it had a very small section at the very back of the inventory, which good on them because they covered a lot of it, but um, the it, it's, it, they take into consideration, and then there's maybe there's a, a hotline that they mention, but it's not really um, kept within the community. Mm -hmm. So they have the disaster distress hotline. Uh, calls are answered by a trained crisis counselor, um, although it does, but it does not connect a person seeking help with a trained professional in the community. Um, and the more I researched on this this part, of the, you have a greater chance of survival and a greater chance um, and a better prognosis for getting through the initial stressors that PTSD um, causes uh, if you do it within a community. Um, so they, they looked at Katrina and how many people were displaced by Katrina, and people were reporting a higher degree of depression um, that we noted on our report. Um, just kind of a... Um, a more negative outlook on what had happened to them because I mean you have to think of it being di being displaced you're out of your community you're away from your friends and if you are a child that's trauma in itself sometimes you know just a simple move is a traumatic event for a child and being displaced because of a disaster is even more traumatic um, yeah it's um, it's interesting some of the parallels across class and across these um, projects you see they reminded me of the the first documentary we watched this semester mm -hmm. and exactly, the yeah. impact to children's kind of overall well-being as they're trying to flee for political asylum or other reasons mm -hmm. and then being in the U.S. and then being separated from their parents and some of the ways in which the that also, you know, children in particular who are really vulnerable um, are likely to experience trauma from. And it's, it's hard as a parent to witness the same trauma and deal with your own trauma while dealing with your child's trauma. Um, and that, I mean, that's why why we're here. We want to fix that, or at least we want to help facilitate to fix that. So um, you mentioned some of these, but let's just jump right into them for sure. the, in the sake of time. What are some of the real challenges or issues for uh, making sure that 
timely resources and sustained resources are available to communities that uh, are victims of major disasters? Well, first off, the, uh, the crisis counseling assistance and tra tra training program really generally suffers from a lack of program and fiscal accountability. As I mentioned earlier, that millions of dollars have been allocated to disaster mental health, but relatively little is known about the effectiveness of these programs. Um, as you questioned earlier, you know, there's sort of a disjointed uh, implementation in these programs. The funding for the CCP is provided by FEMA. Program imp implementation is through the local mental health authorities. And oversight of the programming is performed by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. So this sort of, the number, with the number of parties involved, um, really requires a lot of strong intergovernmental collaboration. But without that, this discontinuity can really lead to confusion, poor administration, and programs which are less effective. Uh, there's a few um, reasons for this. FEMA provides the funding for these programs, but doesn't really provide any sort of guidance or technical expertise on these program implementation. FEMA also doesn't directly evaluate the service implementation with on-site monitoring, so really leading to a lack of fiscal accountability. So they're providing all this funding, but not really monitoring what's going on. There's um, a lack of fiscal accountability. And so there's really, ch for these reasons, it's really challenging to assess if the CCP funds are used efficiently and effectively. So it sounds like we have a, a number of issues here. I mean, one that we were mentioning earlier was the, the timeliness of uh, the funding. And so not all of it just coming right in the aftermath and how to maintain the level of support that's needed over time. Second is this um, kind of segmented effort um, where you have uh, a lot of intergovernmental partnerships going on where you have the funding coming from one level, the implementers at one and two different levels, and the people providing the funding not really doing systematic oversight. So um, <clears throat> that leaves us with an inability to know how effective this money is. So is that something that, um, and it, it looks like it is right in your report, <laughs> but does this lead to like a data collection problem? So, you know, the segmented effort, it, people aren't getting the kind of care they need, but are we even getting quality data to understand how to improve this, or what's kind of the verdict there? We're not. That's a good question. We're not getting that kind of data. There's really a lack of empirical evidence, evidence confirming uh, positive program, program outcomes from these disaster mental health services. In order to thoroughly evaluate the effectiveness of these programs, the, they really need quantitative data. However, there's really a lack of that kind of data, and there's a variety of reasons for that lack of data. Historically, the data collection has been qualitative only, so like personal quotes or testimonies, but that's not going to really evaluate the outcome-oriented approach that we need to this, uh, evaluate the program effectiveness. Uh, further, due to uh, unpredictability of the, of the disasters, researchers are incapable of conducting pre-disaster research, leading to a lack of baseline knowledge about the population's mental health before the disaster. So it's really hard to sort of evaluate their mental health after the disaster and, and improvements when you don't know what they, the level they started at. Further, and uh, lastly and very importantly, the CCP programs mandate that interactions between counselors and clients are conducted anonymously. This really impedes efforts at a longitudinal study for the long-term mental health impacts from the disaster and the potential benefits of the CCP programs. Yeah, because you can't tie data to any particular set of folks. So, 
how do we fix this? It seems a little bit, I mean, we have made some, <clears throat> as I understand, progress in just uh, integration and broad uh, combating the fallout from disasters, and we seem to be getting more of these recently. So what can we do to also improve the mental health piece of disaster recovery? Well, so we figured there's like, uh, so our group really just talked together um, before formally forming the solutions and we broke down these certain things that we needed to have considered before even doing the, the solutions. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll just go through them real quick. Um, but it's addressing the needs for increased access to the service in a community, um, meeting the unmet long-term needs for the services, improving coordination between community providers and the state and federal assistance, increasing responsiveness to the unpredictability of the community mental health needs, incorporating better program fiscal accountability, and introducing effective means for evaluation of the program. Um, so we first stepped into the how to make the services being provided be more integrated into the community providers. Mm -hmm. So there was like with crisis counseling and everything that's being provided by C CCP, their, their initial response is actually providing a completely separate like service of crisis counseling. And so they are their own separate program. And what they really should be doing is what we suggested um, is they should be integrating within the, the, the current like local mental health care providers in pretty much helping the community know where they need to go as soon as the, the CCP is gone because we found that I mean the time that they're giving their uh, the assistance is not really where the brunt of the force is um, you have like about a year before people really start to recover and like seek out that building and like have that closure. So we felt that by integrating, um, like by collaborating with intake, so with these call centers and everything, they need to have a handoff first between whenever they receive someone that is asking for help and then referring them down to that local entity that is in charge of it. Um, we actually found this a lot with so they have these things in the nonprofit sector called the Volunteer Organizations Active in Disasters. And like all the nonprofits and the local mental health providers, they kind of group together and they have this collaborative effort where, where there's a singular intake of people that need any help, whether it's with like building their, their homes, uh, rebuilding, or even mental health care. But what they did is rather than having people like calling random places and trying to be like trying to get their what they needed, um, they centralized it and they have one specific nonprofit or organization that's responsible for that intake. And like if, one gatekeeper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like the private sector, the local community, and all the nonprofits and the mental health providers are all working collaboratively already, but the federal CCP program and the hotlines haven't integrated into those. So rather than um, like to, if there's too much of a demand for like need, they need to be sending staff, sending assistance to the actual program that's designated so that well beyond the effective like time span, people are more aware of where they need to go. Not just like calling the disaster hotline a year after their event, 
it's not going to be able, it's not going to be a way of connecting them back to their community. And that's what the focus is like enhancing and making that more of an approach. The other side of it is we, it wasn't so much that there was a issue with like gathering data. It's that there wasn't useful data. And so they weren't having data that would allow for those longitudinal studies that would allow for these different things because we didn't have a set population that we could observe. There was no set start point. And because of the nature of these sort of events, you don't know that they're coming. And if, they, if you knew they were coming, they wouldn't be really a <laughs> yeah. disaster. And so um, by Hopefully, hopefully we would plan for them if we knew they were coming. <laughs> yeah. And so tying into that deinstitutionalization, we didn't want the government to be providing more of these services. We wanted kind of to allow, we wanted the government's actions in helping to make it easier for outside organizations like research institutions and nonprofits to do that kind of work. So we kind of like not changing the current makeup, we felt that there should be a, like a task force that's uh, assigned to maintaining and coordinating with research institutions in, in knowing what kind of data needs to be gathered, like what kind of demographical uh, information or like um, case files things do they need to have. And they also need to be able to have the ability for a person that's getting care to opt in to being contacted in the future for the purpose of research and, and benefit everyone. And all this stuff would have to be opt-in because of the nature of mental health and how there's already a stigma and everything and we don't want we don't want people to feel like they're being forced into anything. And that would really get in the way of their care. So um, by having a task force that's more of like making sure that they're they're like an unbiased way of gathering that information so that it's useful and then making sure that it's like ethically given out to people that are applying for research and grants and everything with the, the regular process. So the, it sounds like the biggest piece um, here or the biggest need that your group is, is attempting to fill is, is, is really kind of a coordination and collaboration piece with tying the funding and the programs from the federal level and from FEMA more closely and tightly with the local providers because of what we were talking about earlier you know we want these people to stay in their local community we had lots of challenges when we do pull people from those communities and there is a lot of of networks at the local level often um, maybe it varies by place and varies by the amount of people there but there are often good networks in place to provide those services and then there's decent funding coming from uh, from FEMA and from the federal government, but where there's really a lack of uh, efficiency or effectiveness is getting those groups to work more carefully together. I mean, is that a fair way of putting the solution? Yeah, basically yes. if we can interweave everybody, mm -hmm. if we get everybody on the same page, it'd be quite effective. But I'm, I'm pretty optimistic in the field of emergency management and disaster recovery mm -hmm. that we can make progress like this because this is something that we've had a national effort towards since at least the early 2000s of better integrating our emergency management responses. And it's maybe unsurprising that mental health wasn't at the top mm -hmm. of that integration list. But I think we've shown the capacity to integrate across agencies to well uh, 
integrate across uh, levels of government as well and strengthen those partnerships across the states and the local governments. And so I really like that you're focusing on the mental health piece because this is one that's still, I mean, it's 2018, so we have less stigma, um, but the stigma around mental health, particularly uh, across different types of communities in the U.S., yes. is still pretty stigmatized. Yes. Um, and so bringing some attention to this in particular, I think, is really helpful. Um, okay, I think this gives a really nice overview. Um, are there pieces that we haven't hit on that you think are crucial or something interesting from this process that we haven't discussed that you think is important for the potential listeners to, uh, to know about this report? Um, one of the things that uh, we went over right before our conclusion was the reservations on these kind of changes. Um, all of the things that have been done towards providing better mental health care um, up until now have relied on like a lot of understanding of why we're doing these things. So all of the structure that things have been done, we found that these are the best ways that are found in doing that and providing that service. But if we go and we overstep our bounds and we start making like political decisions to try to say like, oh, I'm advancing this cause and there's a misstep, it would possibly just have a lot of drawbacks in political opinion on mental health and everything like that. So like there's a lot of care that should be taken in approaching any change. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. We certainly don't want to make it worse than the situation already is. Um, and it is it is true that it's tricky to or challenging, I suppose, to um, address these issues culturally still. And to your point, I mean, just one or two missteps really can break down trust across the uh, entities that are wanting to help. Uh, we see this play out in all kinds of domains, right? We see this play out in law enforcement. We see this play out in um, other entities as well. So um, I think that's a really good point. Anything else that's useful to share before we close? Very nice job. Uh, this is a really, this is something I hadn't, really thought a lot myself until the group brought this up. And so there's clear need for this as an issue. There's clear trauma and the occurrence as your graph shows and just cursory, cursory paying attention to the news, disasters aren't going away. Mm -hmm. um, and natural disasters and across some dimensions are becoming more prevalent. And so this is something that we've got to get right. And it's something that we have underinvested in in the past because of, of stigma. So thanks for bringing attention to this and uh, uh, thanks for your work.